Here we go. You got your sheets? We're um, in week 13 of the Forever series. It seems like. Actually, next week is the last week. And so um, in two weeks, next week is Mother's Day. Aren't you excited? All of you that forgot it was Mother's Day, you're welcome. You now have a week to get a plan together. Um, but next week's the last week of the series. And then on the 20th, so that's two weeks from today, the 20th, we're going to have church. We're just going to hang out here and eat lunch together. Is that cool? Um, I love eating. So on that day, I mean, you'll get contacted, but you might as well just go ahead and start planning your best dish. Bring it back here, and we'll have church, and then we'll break it all down, put tables up, and we'll start stuffing our faces. And that's going to be a great, a great day. So two more weeks, this week and next week, probably the most important messages of the whole series um, from my perspective, okay? So here we go. Here's the deal today. We're talking about... Um, core value number 13, and we, um, Jennifer was, you know, talking earlier about kind of have, you know, having these places where we can think about what God's doing, where we remember that he loves us, that, you know, John 3:16. Um, everybody's got a place like that, or you need to have a place like that, like when things are kind of crashing in on you, where you can kind of go, and you can just close your eyes, and you can think about what God's doing in your life, you can remember what matters the most, some people, that's the beach, anybody here, like if if I could just get to the beach, man, then my world is perfect, right? Some people are the opposite. They're like, I want to go to the mountains. If I can get on a ski slope and get some skis or a snowboard under me, um, for me, that's not it, you know, because I'm a disaster on that kind of stuff. Um, some people like to go on a trail with a bike. Some people like to go on a trail just with their feet. I'm a runner, but that's just insane. Some people like to get in a car. You know, maybe you're a convertible person. You get in your car, put your top down, and you go out. Like today would be a perfect day for that, and you're just chilling, and the wind's in your you, But everybody's got a place, right? And if you don't have a place like that, you need to get a place like that where you can just kind of get away from everything that's going on in your life, and you can just start to simplify. And you get in those places, and suddenly you realize, oh, now I remember what matters the most. And I have a place like that, and it, it's Ikea. Which I know sounds, sounds kind of crazy. It doesn't really sound that manly. Um, but for me, Ikea is kind of like this breath of fresh air in our culture because our culture has exploded with consumer spending. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of set the table a little bit about American consumerism. Do not write any of these stats down. You just need to listen to them. Let them kind of settle in. They're all taken from a book. I love this title. Written in 2002 called Affluenza. It's a great title. Okay, Affluenza. And here's just some of the stats that those guys put together. According to the United Nations Environment Program, Americans spend more for trash bags than 90 of the world's 210 countries spend on everything. Americans spend nearly $6 trillion a year, more than $21,000 per person, most of it on consumer goods. Spending by or influenced by children ages 12 and under is growing 20% annually. We spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than on higher education. Shopping has become the most preferred activity of Americans. 70% of them visit a mall each week. Americans now typically spend six hours a week shopping and 40 minutes playing with their children. Six hours a week shopping 40 minutes a week playing with their children. There are now twice as many shopping centers as high schools in America. Most Americans have three or more credit cards. The average credit card debt per household is just under $16,000. Do 
twice as much as it was just 10 years ago. The average supermarket contains 30,000 items, two and a half times as many as it did 20 years ago. As a matter of fact, I know a friend who was a missionary, and so I asked them one time, like they had to, when you're a missionary, you go to another country, you live there, then you come back here to raise more money so you can go back to the other country. And so I was asking, like, what was it like, kind of the re-entry from that country to America? And they said, it didn't really hit me until I went to the supermarket. And I turned and I looked down this aisle of, like, every type of cereal you could imagine. And it just overwhelmed me at how much there is in America. Because I had just been in a country where if we just had a box of cereal, we felt blessed. So we hold 30,000 items in the average supermarket. To keep, I love this, to keep these largely useless items, homes have become twice the size that they were in the 50s, even though the family size has shrunk. So we don't need bigger houses because we have bigger families. We just need bigger houses because we got more stuff that we don't even know where it is in the house. Typically, American homes have 2,300 square feet and three garages, and even that's not enough. It's so not enough that the self-storage industry has now an annual revenue of $16 billion, which is more than the music industry in America. America has the world's highest rate of divorce, and according to family counselors, quote, arguments about money are precipitating factors in 90% of divorce cases. We are nuts. We are way out of control. And so for me, like Ikea becomes this, ah, we're so out of control. I, I don't know if you like the December to Remember commercials by Lexus, but they make me want to puke. If you've not seen a Lexus commercial, the December to Remember thing, I brought one just to show you. It's just kind of get an idea for what we're talking about. Let's be honest. No one ever wished for a smaller holiday gift. It's the Lexus December to Remember sales event. And for a limited time, we're celebrating some of our greatest offers of the year. See your Lexus dealer. These commercials got such negative ratings that another company, Audi, decided to kind of play off that. And they came up with a whole campaign. The next year, it was called, the campaign was called Season of Reason. And so we're going to run a couple commercials just to let you see what they did just to kind of address that it's whole life. stitched from deal. 800 thread count, Egyptian linen, of course, with Austrian crystal. Oh, these are not for the kids. These are for the holidays. Hold on, we don't want them to swivel. Causes wear and tear on the loop. In a season marked by overindulging and overspending, Acura introduces the concept of oversaving. Test drive a new Acura during the Season of Reason sales event. These are stitched from... This year we wanted to be the best carolers in the neighborhood, so I hired the incomparable Beth Midler. Here I am singing loud, how I love my life. Out of my way I'm here to stay in a one-horse open sleigh. At a time when it's easy to go overboard. I thought that went very well. Acura invites you to be smarter and oversave during the Season of Reason sales event. Take advantage of attractive offers on the 2012 Acura TL for well quality. Okay, so yeah, probably even if you bought an Acura, maybe you spent too much. But the point here is that they watch Lexus 
do this overindulgence thing, like, you know what you really want in your stocking is not actually a little car, but a whole car and the bow on top and everything, and it's just so unrealistic that accurate, they try to capitalize on that by, by showing how ridiculous that is, the thread and the, and the stocking and all that stuff, and don't touch it, we don't want to swivel. It's ridiculous. And so when, when I think about a place like Ikea, I love how what they do in this, this culture of overconsumption I walk into the Ikea store, and they have, like, these rooms that show how a house could be with, like, just a small square footage and, like, a 20 gazillion people could live in it, and it all seems to work. And so they say, you know what? Really, less is more. And honestly, I get fascinated with the possibility of less is more, even if the whole time I'm looking at it going, I don't know if this is really possible. So I want to show you this video that they put together, and then we'll keep going. Space. There's only so much. And when you run out, that's it. Or is it? What if you could do more with the space you have? What if there was a smarter way to use space? There is. Let's imagine a room that everyone uses. 24 hours a day. It's a living room. It's a playroom. But better make it easy to clean up. And if we use this space up here, it can also be a bedroom. Smart. Stackable stools, drawers on wheels, a bed up in the air. Small ideas can transform a small space into a generous space that works for everyone. It's about maximizing space, being a little creative with how you use it. So what if we get a little creative with a space like this? Does a living room really need a sofa? What if we tried something different? There, we've just created a whole wall for storage. And a cozy little nest for two. Now everyone can do what they want, at the same time, together. And being together is a good thing, right? So let's try something completely different. Here are six friends, and this is where they live, together. Why not? With some bunk beds, curtains for privacy, and a big communal table to gather around? It can work. To make the most of the space you've got, all you really need is an open mind and a few smart, small ideas. It's about finding and using hidden spaces and choosing furniture that does more than one thing. And it works no matter how much or how little space you have. It's not about giving up your dreams. It's about shrinking them just a little bit. It's about making space do more. Even more than you could imagine. And it's not about waiting. It's about doing it today. 
dream home doesn't need to be big. Just smart. And it's kind of funny when you think about it. The space you've been looking for, it's been right there all along. Okay, so at this point, most of you are thinking that I just got hired by IKEA and I work on commission, right? Um, which is not the point at all. Um, my point today is to help you see that what matters the most and how a simple decision to embrace this value we're talking about this morning can help you live a life full of the very things that matter the most. This morning we're talking about valuing simpler living. We value simpler living. We expect a lifestyle of contentment to enable greater and more generous giving. Let me say it one more time so you can fill the blanks in. We value simpler living and expect a lifestyle of contentment to enable greater and more generous giving. The, th the home that they showed at the end of, on Ikea, six people living in 130 square feet. That just blows my mind. You know, and my, my first thought is what some of yours is. That looks awesome. There's no way I could pull that off. But to simplify, to find a way to make that work, I, I just want to open your mind this morning to what could happen, not if we all moved into one 130-square-foot home together, which would be crazy, but if we just took a step. Let me just caution with this. Number one, our value is not simple living. Okay, because simple living is different depending on who we talk to, right? So some of you, when you think of simple living, you're like, oh, I'll sell everything I've got, and I'll just live outside in a, in a shack. And in others, simple living is, oh, I didn't buy two cars, I just bought one. But what we value is simpler living, just simpler living. It looks different based on your situation and mine, but simpler living is a commitment to take one step at a time toward less. And then number two, the, the temptation is going to be for us to think about money the whole time I'm talking. And obviously, all the illustrations I've used at this point were about money, okay? But we're not talking about just money this morning. Contentment is much more of a spiritual truth than a financial one, okay? So you can relax a little bit. I'm not going to ask for all your money at the end. Contentment applies to many arenas of life that are not green. So here we go. The three points about contentment. Number one, contentment is a secret. Contentment is a secret. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul said that he had learned the secret of being content. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So basically, if it's a secret, it means it's not commonly known, it's not widely practiced, correct? Correct. So what we're talking about this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. If you embrace this, if you see this as a biblical thing and you start saying, I'm going to try to live this way, people that you know, even people that you know that love Jesus are going to think that you have flipped out of your mind. Okay? This is so countercultural to where we live. It's a secret. It's not widely known. Um, let's define the word. The Greek word for contentment means this. It means strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances, contented with one's lots. Um, we, we talked about a lot of stats earlier and the reasons why our culture is so stuff happy. And here's the reason. They have an internal need that drives external greed. Okay? 
There's an internal need that drives external greed. I, I gotta get the, the I've got to get the new iPad. I got to, because that iPad 2 that I bought just a month before it came out, just not quite good enough. I got I, I got I got to get a new car. I just got to get a new car. Why? Well, mine's a year old. Is it broken? No. It's just it doesn't have the new car smell. Awesome. Okay, great. There's sometimes there's an internal. Why do you need that? And it drives this external greed. So, for our purpose here, I want you to write this down. Okay, it's not the best definition of contentment, but it's the one we're going to use today because it rhymes and it's easy to remember. Contentment is not needing stuff to think I have enough. Not needing stuff to think I have enough. And here's a, just a couple of observations about the secret of contentment that are critical, and then we'll, we'll move on. Number one, um, this is all under contentment as a secret. Contentment is not possible without Jesus. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, you've misquoted it and I've misquoted it, is Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Um, Typically, when we think about that verse, we say it like this. I'm getting ready to go do something that's really hard. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When I was working out all the time, I mean, it's easy to tell, right, that I used to work out all the time. Believe it or not, my goal in life was to become a bodybuilder and to win Mr. America. And so I, I took this picture of one of the Bibles I used to have. You know, slow that, throw that picture up there, Gary. Um, it's one of the Bibles I used to have. And so right there I highlighted, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And M-A for J-C, stands, that was my little personal code for Mr. America for Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to get is this. That's the total opposite of what Paul's talking about. That's how we use it. I can run a marathon because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or I can start a business and succeed because I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And what he's saying here is, no, no, because I've learned how to be content in all circumstances, in every situation, then no matter what comes my way, I'm good. I'm good. It's got nothing to do with the things we accomplish. It has everything to do with being content in who Jesus is in us. Contentment's not possible without Jesus. In the context, that verse means I have internal strength. The void on the inside has been filled, and I don't need to get stuff to fill it. It's based more on who has us than on what we have. Um, contentment helps create margin in our lives. Margin is kind of a buzzword right now in our culture. Um, instead of being so maxed out that we pop at the first time circumstances change, we're flexible. We can handle ups and downs. Um, how many of you know somebody right now that's overextended financially? Yeah. How many of you know somebody who's overextended with their time? They can't say no to anybody, so they say yes to everything, and they're just at home going, I'm freaking out. Man, we live in, a, in an overextended society. But contentment helps to kind of create some margins in our lives. I do not have to do everything. We, we have some space, some flexibility. So when things go bad, we don't die. When things are really great, we don't get all too excited. We just, I mean, if it's good, good. If it's bad, I'm cool. I got margin. I've got flexibility. I've got space. I can deal with it. 
can easily see how countercultural this is. That's one reason why Paul called it a secret. The word secret literally means the initiation into a mystical cult. And we're not going to start a cult this morning. I don't think. It's not the plan, at least. But I can tell you this. If you embrace the secret, people will think you've joined one. They will think you have... Why do you drive a car that's 10 years old? You'll, you'll find yourself saying stuff like this. Because it's paid for? Yeah, but it's like the air conditioner doesn't run. But it's paid for? I'd have been like, have you seen the new one? Like, you can just think it and it starts. That's, well, that's awesome. Have you seen mine? I like put the key in it and turn it and it's paid for. People will think you're crazy. But you'll be the one that's okay when stuff goes away. I'm going to tell you right now, man, there are people that are crashing and burning all around us because they are overextended. Because they got it because they wanted it and they didn't think about whether they could have it, afford it, needed it, nothing. They just, I wanted, I got it. And they're, they're freaking out right now. They're crashing and burning. I want you to understand something. The gospel is very practical. I mean, Jesus actually cares about your budget. He actually doesn't want you to be the people who right now in this culture, when the economy tanked, wouldn't it be awesome if we were like Joseph, who had saved for seven years in the good times so that he didn't have to freak out in the seven years of bad times? But our culture, American Christians, we spend it all in the good times. Why? Because we're blessed and we're king's kids and we can do it if we want to and I just want it. And now it's bad, and we're all going, ah. I just want you to understand something. Contentment is a secret, and not many people understand it, and not many people will live it. But when you do, it gives you margin in your life so you can handle times like now. Contentment is not needing stuff to think I have enough. Number two, so contentment is a secret, and then contentment is seen in how we sow. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11 some of these are going to sound a little bit familiar because verse 11, you see it every Sunday when you give your offering. It's on the offering envelopes. Let me just read it to you real quick and then we'll break it down. Paul says this, remember this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I just want to make a statement, and then you're either going to hate it or you know, whatever. If you, if you leave, we'll just use your seat for someone next week. If you're not content, you're not going to give. If you're not content, you're not going to give. And here's why. Because you still have an internal void that makes you feel like you've, you just don't know if you're going to have enough. And so giving away anything makes you uncomfortable. You know why people give a dollar at church? Because they're thinking they may need that 20 later. Like I went through this period in my life where 
I really felt like God told me every time there was a missionary, every time there was an offering, a love offering, that I was supposed to give the biggest bill in my wallet. And the first couple times when I was, you know, like when I was kind of in the moment and I'd open my wallet and there was a 20 and a 1 and a 5, I was like, I think I'll just go with a 5. And God said, now give the biggest one in your wallet. So I did it the first couple of times, and I just learned how to carry fives and ones. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, <laughs> quarters. <laughs> it's the biggest thing I got. It's a quarter. Sorry. But the thing is, you know, we, we cheap out on God. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I just want you to understand the reason that we do that is because we don't really trust that if we were to give the 20, that God could give back something that we need later. So we hold on to it because, one, we don't trust God, and two, we really may need that money. Why? Because we're overextended. Contentment. Contentment is seen in how we sow. Here's something I've learned in life. You already knew this. Stingy people aren't typically happy people. They're just not. Write this down. The measure in which we sow is directly linked to the pleasure with which we sow. The measure in which we sow is directly linked to the pleasure with which we sow. And we're using the word sow a lot, so obviously let's explain what that means. It means using a, a farming term here. So you know what? You sow something, you put something in the ground, and it's going to grow, and there's going to be a harvest. Right? And he says very clearly, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. So if you put a little bit in, you get a little bit out. If you put a lot in, you get a lot out. Every man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, but not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I have told you guys this before. Preachers that say, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take money from a grump. That's not biblical. If you're a grump about it, God says keep it in your wallet. He don't want it. He wants you to give cheerfully. And so the, the measure in which you sow is directly related to the pleasure with which you sow. If you really love to give because you really love what God's doing in your life, if you're happy about giving, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself giving more and more and more and more. I just can't give away enough. I mean, your spouse might be freaking out, right? Like you get in the car and your wife goes, dude, we really needed that house. I don't know what you're doing, man. Quit giving our houses away. And you're just like, but it was great. I just love I love giving away. I mean, you'll find yourself wanting to give more and more and more. Because you get so much joy from it. But when you're stingy, you don't get any pleasure out of it. This is a great way to sum up these verses. Verses 8 through 11. We can so generously... Because God supplies endlessly. In verse 8, Paul says that in all things, at all times, we have all that we need. Verse 10, he says that God provides seed and bread. He gives you seed, he gives you bread, and then he gives you more seed so you have a greater harvest. He gives you seed, he gives you bread, and then he gives you more. Verse 11 says that you'll be made rich in every way. And so when we understand that God's storehouse is a never-ending supply of what we need, guess what we're freed up to do? Give generously on every occasion. You meet somebody and they say, man, I really need some cash. You're like, sweet, you need cash. That's awesome because I have cash. I have a one, a five, and oh, I brought my 20 today. What was I thinking? 
I meant to take that out of my wallet. And so you take the 20 out and you give it to them and you walk away and you don't necessarily walk away going, oh God, what am I going to do now? I've only got $6. You walk away going, man, that's awesome because God gave me that 20 and I just gave it away. I sowed generously and now the Bible says that he's going to give me back what I need. Kind of walk around like this. Anytime now, God, just drop it in there. When you start to see it as a never-ending supply, it changes everything. We see it as a very small pie, don't we? Like, this is what I have, and I'm going to give you a sliver because I need to just save this in case I need it later. So here you go. But when you realize that if you gave that whole pie away, God could give you a whole other pie, maybe even a better pie than you had to start with. I don't, I don't, again, it's like, how fast can you give it away? Here, here, you want some pie? Here, here, take some, take three. You just can't give it away fast enough because you understand that we sow generously because God supplies endlessly. The result is thanksgiving to God and not to us. And I love that. At verse 11 it says, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Have you ever given a gift to somebody and they thank somebody else for it? Like they just like I've been to parties where they open up a present and they love it and they're like, Oh, this is great, thank you. And they turn to the wrong person and thank them. And then you watch the person who actually gave the gift and they're kinda like, What do I do in this moment? Because I really want them to understand that I'm the friend that bought it for them. I'm the cool friend. What are you doing talking to that friend? They don't quite know what to do. And you know what happens when you really get contentment? You start sowing generously, you give it. And they bypass you and go, thank you, Jesus. And we're going to have to be okay with that. Like, we're going to have to be okay with the gathering being the most generous church in the county and people not knowing it was the gathering that was the most generous church in the county. I'm really okay with that. Because our giving, our generosity, because we're content, because we know the secret, because we can sow generously, because we know that he's going to give endlessly, when we give it, we don't have to worry about if they know we gave it. All that matters is they go, wow, that's awesome. Like I, we know we got to do something for somebody that we'll never meet. A couple weeks ago, well, I'll never meet this person. And it blew them away. Their exact words were, I didn't think anybody loved me. Wow. God loves me? That's incredible. They give thanks to God. Number three, last one. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, contentment is a springboard to greater gain. Contentment is a springboard to greater gain. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Okay, let's start in verse 3. Because we need to kind of get the context of this whole passage, all right? Here's what Paul says. If anyone teaches false doctrines... So what are we talking about? If anyone teaches false doctrines, what are we talking about in this passage? False doctrines. That was not a trick question. <laughs> I think the answer is blue, but I'm scared to say it out loud. Um, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, he's conceited and understands nothing. 
<laughs> right now you're going, I know some people like that. <laughs> he has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind. So to this point, here's what we've learned. Some people are all about false doctrine because they just love to stir it up. Do you know people like that? Like they're the, they're the people that walk in and go, can I just play the devil's advocate? Yeah, you want to be on the devil's side? Awesome. Go for it. I'll be playing Jesus' advocate. You know, I don't want to play the bad side. These are the people that just like to stir it up. They don't even have an answer. They just like to stir it up and then leave. And this is what Paul wrote at the end of, chapter, at end of verse 5. He says, these people have been robbed of the truth, and they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, I mentioned this last week. Let me just mention it again. I mentioned about the girl that was in my first youth group, and she gave the offering. She gave like a dollar or two dollars. She put it in a, in a little offering envelope, and then on the back she wrote in big letters, green neon. And when I asked her what that was about, and she said, well, that's the car that God's going to give me because I gave this offering. There are people that believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. And that's what it says in the NIV, okay? I want you just to ignore the financial word, okay? Just ignore it. Let's talk about what gain means. Gain means this, to cause a thing to get on well, to acquire or to gain. So the bottom line here is that God wants us to get along well, right? Not just get along like as individuals in a relationship, but just me as an individual with Jesus. He wants me to do well in my walk with Jesus, correct? So what he says here is godliness is not enough to make that happen. Godliness on its own cannot make that happen. I mean, look at the person next to you. They look kind of godly, don't they? Kind of? And bald? But the Bible says that being godly is not enough to make you get along well. Godliness is not enough. It needs something else. And verse 6 says what it is. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And if you've ever sat at a desk at the end of the month paying bills for stuff that you bought and now you realize you didn't need it, you understand what it means to pierce yourself with many griefs. Now... Let me just say this before we finish up. At this point in the whole teaching, if you're like me, you're sitting here going, so I have to be poor? Great. That's exciting. Woohoo! Sell everything you got. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are some that, I mean, that, that's big right now. I mean, there's like the book Radical, if you've read Radical by David Platt, I mean, it's like a one big huge swing way over here to this extreme. And sometimes it takes that to get people to kind of go, what are we doing? We're idiots. Let's get some balance, right? I want, we're going to read something in a minute that's going to kind of make you feel a little bit better about stuff you have. So I'm not here saying you need to go sell everything you got unless God tells you to sell everything that you've got. And then it's, just, it's up to you and God, right? It's not going to come from the Bible. What I want you to get is this, that godliness with contentment can give you great gain. It can give you, it can give you what you need on the inside. It can put you in a place where you can actually get along well spiritually. Godliness is a springboard to greater gain. Here's what, here's what it does when you have godliness. 
It gives you a life free from bad things and a life full of good things. Here are the bad things if you want to jot them down real quick. If you have godliness with contentment, you have a life that is free from ruin and destruction in verse 9. You have a life that is free from all kinds of evil, verse 10. You have a life that is free from being separated from God and faith in verse 10. And here are the good things that you get to have. This is where there's a little bit of balance, and I love that Paul did that. Because I, I think when Paul got done writing many griefs, he kind of stepped back and went, boy, that was, that was strong right there. Um, so God, what do we do if we have money? What do we do if we have wealth? What if we have resources? What are we supposed to do with that? And so he, he writes, starting in verse 17, this to Timothy. He says, listen, Timothy, you're going to get up and read this to people in your congregation, and they're not going to like you because they have stuff. And they like their stuff. They just bought a lot of Tupperware to make it look good in their house when they slide it under the bed. And now you're going to get up and tell them that they need to get rid of stuff because the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, You better, how about wrapping it up this way? Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. And I know right away we read that and think I'm not rich. And and listen, it's all perspective, right? Because if, if I sit down, I'm trying to think what channel this was on, HGTV, they got some show called Million Dollar Rooms, and I'm just watching it, and I'm going, wow, like, these people are spending like $3 million on a pool, and it is an awesome pool, and if, I, if they ask me to go swimming in it, uh-huh, I'm going, and I might, I might live in it, I mean, it's really, really awesome, and they've built a place for me to live in the pool. Now, when I watch that, and then I look in my backyard, and all I see are, like, weeds. It's easy for me to say I'm not rich, right? But when I get on a plane and go to India, and there's a girl times a million on the street with no mom, no dad, with a broken arm, begging for money, and then I come back and I get in my house and look out and I see a backyard full of weeds, I'm rich. It's all about perspective. So I'm going to tell you this. You live in America... You might not be rich by American standards, and we do live by American standards. You pay American bills. You do not pay Indian bills or Belizean bills. You pay American bills. But when you read this, command those who are rich in this present world, we're rich in this present world, okay? We may not be rich in our country, (laughs) but we're rich in the present world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our, what is the word there? Who can tell me? Enjoyment. There's balance. And don't you know the people that read this, they saw that word and went, wait, wait, read that last verse one more time. What's it say? And they're going to read it. No, it, literally it says this. I mean, Paul wrote this. I'm reading it right now. He says, he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And they all went, I can enjoy my house. I can enjoy my car. The little Taurus that's cracked five places in the windshield. It's paid for. I can enjoy it. I don't have to get in my car and feel guilty. I have a car. I can enjoy it. He's given us all things for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life 
that is truly life. So here are the good things that you have if you have contentment. Verse 12 says that you have confidence to fight well. And if you've ever been in a fight, I was in one in my whole life and I got beat up. I'm not a fighter. But if you're in a fight, you better step in with confidence, right? Okay, it's good to have confidence to fight well. Verse 12, you have hope in God. Verse 17, you have the freedom to enjoy His blessings. That's what we read in verse 17. And you also have the freedom to share His blessings. And I love that last phrase in verse 19. He says, you'll be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. Basically this, you have a life that is full of what matters most in 19. I want to have a life like that. I just want to have a life that's full of what matters most. And I get it, you know, I get it. It's America. Most of you wrote me off when I started talking about being content. Because you're like, it's, it's America. I don't have to be content. Shut up. You're right. And you don't have to be godly either. And you won't be. You'll have no great spiritual gain in your life if you decide to live your faith in Christ based on what you can do as an American. But if you base your life in Christ on what you can do as a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you will have great gain, that you will get along well spiritually. And it all starts by knowing that you, have, you don't need stuff to think that you have enough. All the things that we could have, a life that needs more and more to try and fill a spiritual void. All of that gives way to a life that's lived simpler so that we can give more and more to the things that matter most. And what matters most? What matters most? A really comfortable building? No. It'll be nice, though. So on some Sundays, more chairs matter. A lot. But does, that, does it matter most? No. Do the lost people in our county matter most? Yes. Does a child that's hungry and have no food matter most? Yes. What matters most is the salvation of souls, the advancement of God's kingdom. And when we find ourselves in a place where we say, you know what, I'm, willing to, I'm kind of in. I want to be in. What's the initiation? How do I get into this little mystical cult thing, this little secret about contentment? When we say that we're in, when we start sowing generously because we understand that God gives endlessly... When we see it's a springboard so that we can have great spiritual gain in our lives, when that happens, we become like Oscar Schindler. And I know a bunch of you saw Schindler's List. Do you know the story of Oscar Schindler? Do you know the real story? Do you know why he, why he even started the factory he started in the war? He started it for one reason. He wanted to get stinking rich off the war. That's the whole reason he started it. He didn't make any bones about it. I just want to get rich because there's a war and I'm going to make the stuff that they need for the war and I'm going to get rich. And the longer that he did that, the more he started to see people. He started to see people in need. He started to hire people, have them work. He started to work these back deals with the government so that he could spare them from going to the camps and they could stay and work with him. And at the end of that whole deal, over 1,100 people were spared because one man decided that them being saved was more important than him being rich. He died broke. And I want you to watch the clip from the end of the movie, and then we'll close out.
we've written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. He's walking to the car. He sees his car and he says, this car, five more people. This watch, two more. Listen, I'm not against stuff. But I will beg you as a church to see stuff in light of a resource and not your pleasure. That what we have can be spent wisely or poorly. And when we see it in light of eternity, we will spend it wisely. I will be very transparent. When football season comes around, I will sit at home and wrestle with whether I should get Sunday ticket on DirecTV. I probably will get DirecTV Sunday ticket because I just love the NFL. And I wrestle. I mean, I, you know, if you, if you want to be wealthy, and I want you to be wealthy so you can give a lot of it away, I just, I wrestle. Like, God, what, what, what can I do in your kingdom with that $200 instead of me watching another football game? I'm just asking you to wrestle. I'm just asking you to, to go to God and wrestle with how can I use what you've given me in light of eternity? This morning when we celebrate communion, I love communion because it's just going to help us. What matters most, that. What Jesus did on the cross, 
that matters most. And Lord, I do not want to stay here and just make my life better while someone else never hears about Jesus. What can I do? How can I use the resources you've given me? How can I become content with less so that I can make sure others hear at least the presentation of the gospel? So I'm going to ask you this morning just to be thinking about this while you take communion. Are you willing? Are you willing to, to share what Jesus did with someone else? Or, or is communion once a month one of those things that we just do because we know the secret but we're not going to tell anybody else? Man, let's give this thing away. Give it away. Give it away. And see what we have. Your house, your car, your job, your relationships. See them in the light of eternity. Mm. And you will have great gain.